You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Revelation. Here's Nate. Revelation chapter 13 today as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. And of course, as I've mentioned to you at the beginning of each of our studies together, the book of Revelation is the only book of the Bible with its own divine outline. Briefly, Jesus mentioned to John in chapter 1, verse 19, to write the things that he had seen. That's all of the events of Revelation chapter 1, the things which are at the time of John, of course, and that would be the seven letters of Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which existed during the time of John. And then Jesus told John to write the things which will take place after this or after these things. And that same phrase is repeated in chapter 4, verse 1, when it says that after this and after these things, John was called up into heaven into the throne room of God. And it was there in the throne room of God that he saw in the right hand of God a scroll that was sealed, and there was no one found worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And so John began to weep until an elder declared to him that Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, was worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. And so John looked and he saw Jesus not as a lion, but as a lamb that had been slain. And Jesus began to open up the scroll. He began to loose its seals. And in Revelation 6, he opens the first six seals. And then in chapter 8, he opens up the seventh seal to great silence in heaven. It was an ominous moment. The reason being that there were uh, seven trumpet blasts, which were inside of that seventh seal. And in the seventh trumpet blast, there will be seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out upon the world. It's a horrible moment and a horrible time. Now, when we get here to Revelation chapter 13, we are actually in the middle of a parenthesis in the book. The seventh trumpet has been blasted at the end of Revelation chapter 11. But then there's a break in the action, and it seems as if what we're studying in Revelation 12, 13, and 14 is merely a parenthesis designed to give sort of a heavenly perspective and a heavenly vision concerning the entirety of this thing called the Great Tribulation, what this looks like from the perspective of God, what Satan's persecution of Israel looks like from the perspective of God, what the Satanic rebellion initially looked like from the perspective of God, what the Antichrist and the false prophet and the nation of Israel and the persecution of Israel and the birth and uh, life and future rule and reign of Christ look like from the perspective of heaven. And we'll study that here in chapter 13 today and 14. And then when we get to chapter 15, we'll resume the account of the seventh seal the seventh trumpet and we'll begin to study the seven bowls that are found inside of the seven trumpets. So in one sense, it's as if the chronological flow of the book of Revelation is suspended for a moment. 
Not that it's out of order, but just right here in the middle, we have God's vision and God's perspective of these chronological events. So just absolutely powerful in its scope and in its sight. And so in chapter 12, of course, we saw the signs in heaven. There was the uh, sign that John described concerning Israel, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and the persecution of the devil, the uh, great red dragon, uh, pursuing her, attempting to destroy her, and especially attempting to destroy the child who would come from her, that being Jesus. Now in chapter 13, verse 1, John writes and says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, or crowns, on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast, verse 2, that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And so, uh, as I mentioned in chapter 12, John is observing these signs, sign after sign after sign. And of course, as I said, this is from the heavenly perspective. That's why in verse 1 it says that he saw a beast. Does it mean that the world leader who has all of this power expressly from the devil, the great Antichrist, does it mean that to the world he's going to appear as a beast? No, not at all. But from God's perspective, from the vision of God, this man is absolutely a beast. Uh, he's a wonder from man's perspective, for perhaps initiating a peace treaty that enables Israel to build a temple and for the Muslim world to be happy. People are going to exalt him like they would exalt a hero, like they'd exalt a great political leader, like they'd exalt a prince. But from God's perspective, verse 1, a beast. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, in John's day, and of course in his environment that he was in, the sea was a wild, frightening, and untamed world. Uh, and in Jewish culture, uh, when they needed jobs done that were large in the Old Testament, they would actually hire sailors. Uh, Hiram's sailors were uh, bought and, and employed in 1 Kings chapter 9. And so the sea is actually a terrible place from the Jewish perspective. I live by the ocean. I love the ocean. I think it's wonderful, but it is an untamed kind of world. And this beast comes out of the sea from God's perspective with 10 horns and seven heads. Now, uh, this is very similar to the dragon. The dragon also had 10 horns. He also had seven heads. Here we see that there were blasphemous names on the heads. And so, of course, the first question we would ask is, well, is the beast the same as the dragon that we saw in chapter 12? Now, we observe that the dragon, of course, was a picture of the devil. And so, is this beast also a picture of the devil? Well, it actually says there at the end of verse 2, that to it, the beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So, you know, these... Uh, heads and these crowns speak of authority and power and kingdoms. 
And it just basically appears that these belong to Satan and are lended to this beast, whoever he is, this man of sin, this Antichrist. And in verse 2, it says that John saw him, that he was like a leopard, uh, that his feet were like a bear's, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And so he sees this beast, a beast like a leopard, like a bear, and like a lion at the same time. Now this has shades of the vision of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel saw a vision of a lion and then a bear and then a leopard destroying and devouring one another. And then a fourth beast that came up speaking pompous words and had a blasphemous name. So this fourth beast in Daniel's vision speaking these pompous uh, words. Now here what we're seeing is, and of course there in Daniel chapter 7, the lion represented Babylon, the bear represented the Medo-Persian Empire that would come after them. The leopard represented the Grecian Empire, which would come after them. And the fourth beast represented that coming kingdom. It was Rome. And so here we see that, that there's a beast. He looks like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. He's a conglomerate uh, of all of these nations. And the Antichrist will come from that fourth Beast, And so I believe that there will be a reviving of the Roman Empire somehow, and that authority, that European authority will be given to this Antichrist figure. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, one of its heads, verse 3, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, this is a very interesting moment here in the account because the beast receives what the text refers to as a mortal wound. Now the question, of course, is does he die? Uh, what was the mortal wound? Uh, and I don't think we know for certain, but what we do know is that later on in the chapter, the false prophet for this beast is going to use this mortal wound to stir up worship towards and for the beast. In other words, this is going to be presented to people as miraculous. You know, look at this guy. It looks as if he died and now he's come back to life. And of course, this is a cheap imitation of Jesus himself, who died on the cross and truly rose from the grave. There's an interesting little prophecy in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17. It says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So who knows if he experiences a right eye and a arm uh, kind of uh, injury, but apparently it's a mortal wound that he receives. And I will not be surprised at all if this character uh, dies or comes close to death and is quote unquote resurrected by Satan indwelling him. You remember in Jude chapter nine, uh, Satan actually attempted after Moses's death to steal his body. And 
Perhaps he was desiring to deceive the nation of Israel with the corpse of Moses. So I don't know what the plan is here or what the, what the text is indicating, but it will be fascinating from our heavenly vantage point to see this unfold. And they worshipped, verse 4, the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And this is exactly what the dragon, that is the devil, has longed for all along. He wanted to be, Isaiah 14, verse 14, like the most high. He wanted to receive worship. He grew tired of singing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy to God. He grew tired of singing worship songs to God. He wanted to hear these worship songs for himself. And so uh, the beast is worshipped and in effect the dragon is worshipped. The Antichrist, this leader, is worshipped and praised and so is the devil himself who is behind him. And the beast, verse 5, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And so uh, this man of sin, this figure, political figure, this world leader, He'll be a blasphemer. He'll blaspheme God's name, the house of God, the people of God. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says that he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so his blasphemy will reach the point where he begins to demand worship and cry out against anything else that desires worship. Also, verse 7, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, a couple of things are interesting here. It says that he has uh, permission, he's allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, of course, this raises a question for us of who are these saints? Uh, perhaps you're thinking, Nate, I, I thought you've been saying that you believe that in Revelation 4, verse 1, when John is called up to the heavenly realm, that's a beautiful picture of the calling up of God's church to be with him in heaven. And I would say, yes, of course, that's exactly what I believe. But I've also been telling you as we've been moving through the book of Revelation that there will be many people, it seems to me, who will give their lives to Christ. The 144,000 Jewish witnesses, the great multitude who uh, receive the gospel during that time, the Two witnesses who are powerful there in Jerusalem preaching the gospel in a worldwide kind of sense. I believe many people will become saints during that era. It's not the church era. They won't become church people, but they will become saints. At this point, the church age is over, but that doesn't mean that 
you can't receive Christ, give your life to him and become a saint in his economy and in his perspective. But this is the time of Jacob's trouble where God is dealing once again with the nation of Israel. And so he has the ability to make war against the saints and everybody on the earth. Notice this. I mean, this is just so uh, depressing to think about. Everyone on the earth will worship him. They'll worship this beast. Everyone except those whose name has been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Just incredible. The waywardness, the darkness, the lostness of the heart of man. And I mean, I look around in the world that I live in, and if this is how this actually unfolds and goes down, which I believe it will, you know, there's a strong possibility that many of the people that I know, people that I love, people that I interact with, that they will go along with worshiping this beast, this creature, this man. And it, it, it's, just a, it's just a sad reality to think of that, the deception that people's hearts will be ready for. I mean, of course, there was a small number, a remnant who worshipped Jesus for raising from the grave, and I count myself in that number. But there will be many more on this time, at least on earth, during this period in Revelation 13, who worship this beast who appears to have risen from the grave and defeated his mortal wound. If anyone, verse 9, has an ear, let him hear. And then this song is sung. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. I think in one sense, this is a divine pep talk in the middle of this era. You know, just the wrath that's poured out and the hostility that will be uh, present towards the people of God. That hostility is difficult to endure. You think it's difficult to endure today. In whatever environment or situation you're in, the hostility will be horrible to endure in those days. And so this song, if anyone is to be taken captive, to, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And so a real pleading with God's people. Hey, even in these difficult times, if you find yourself written in the Lamb's book of life, and if you give your life to Christ during this era, you believe one of the 144,000 super witnesses, or you believe the two witnesses there in Jerusalem, and you give your heart to Christ, the, the writer says, please endure during this era. Have perseverance, have faith. And I think that if that's a word that is given to the saints in that era, well, the church in this era uh, should be called to endure and to have faith as well. You know, I so often lose heart. I so often faint. I so often give up. I so often stop. But, but here, an exhortation is given to endure. 
And of course, I think we need to encourage one another to endure, to press on, to continue on in all that God has called us to. Then in verse 11, he sees something else. He says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. And again, this is from God's perspective. This is a beast from the perspective of God. It'll probably just simply be a man uh, like the Antichrist. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So it has sort of this meek and gentle appearance, but is really truly a devil uh, inside, speaks like a dragon. Now, this other beast that comes from the earth instead of the sea, did you notice that? It is more than likely the false prophet. It says in chapter 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 10, that there is this character called the false prophet uh, for the Antichrist, for the, the main beast, who will prophesy for him and promote him and point people to him. This is sort of the, just as the Holy Spirit of God points us to Jesus, this false prophet points people to the Antichrist. It exercises, verse 12, all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So you see, he does something here where he's causing people to worship the Antichrist, to admire, to adore, to the point of worship. And it probably has something to do with that, as it says, mortal wound that was healed. And so again, pointing to this quote-unquote miraculous uh, recovery from the mortal wound, uh, the, the false prophet stirs people up to worship this man. And for many of us, we, we think that this would be absolutely impossible, that the world would fawn over this character and would worship him. Keep in mind, I, I really believe that at this point, the church is gone. The presence of the spirit is gone in a, in a very real sense. Revelation 9 seems to indicate that the demonic realm will be very active on earth at the time. And in those conditions, it seems very possible to me that the world would worship a man, worship a, a political figure, a leader, a king of some type. We have worshipped in our history as human beings, we have worshipped people before. The Caesars at the time of John were worshipped. Kings have been worshipped before. Kings have been considered divine. And so... In those conditions, should it be a surprise to us that this kind of deception will come once again? I, I don't think we should be surprised by what we're reading. It performs, verse 13, great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Now, this is very reminiscent of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar uh, 
At one point in his kingdom, he received a dream from God about his kingdom that it would end at some point. Uh, and, and his vision that he received from God was that of a statue of a man with a head, arms, chest, uh, legs, feet. And each part of that uh, image, you know, the head made with gold, the chest and the arms made with silver, the uh, waist and legs made with bronze, and then the feet made with clay and bronze. And, uh, you know, this was indicating the kingdoms that would come after Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom in Babylon. But you remember what he built. He built one image that was pure gold, as if to say, forget that. You know, other kingdoms will not come. My kingdom will last and reign forever. And he tried to get everyone to worship that image. And that's where Daniel's friends came in. They would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. But here, the, the false prophet is able to build an image and actually put breath inside of it. And that there's a sense of life inside of it. Again, the, the demonic realm will be working in a powerful way on earth at this time. The abyss has been opened. And so, obviously, this is trickery of some kind, but I believe demonic trickery. And so the image of the Antichrist actually comes to life in a sense. And if people refuse to worship it, they are uh, caused to be killed. It's a capital offense. Also, it causes all, verse 16, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So you notice here that at this moment, there will be this mark that is given on the right hand or on the forehead. It will be knowingly received. There will be people who, who try to resist it, who try to reject it, and they will be killed for their decision. And the result of this mark is that you will not be able to purchase any food uh, buy or sell anything without this particular mark. And uh, so it's it's in the hand or uh, on the hand or on the forehead. It's knowingly received and you cannot purchase anything without it. And it's a number. He says it's the number of its name, the name of the beast. This calls for wisdom. He says, verse 18, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six. Six, six. Now, this is a common concept in that ancient world that a number, that a person's name would actually have a number attached to it. Sort of like if we said, you know, A equals one, B equals two, C equals three. And so a number or a name could have a number uh, attached to it. Uh, like there's some graffiti that they found in ancient Pompeii that reads like this. It says, I love her whose number is 545. So we don't know who that is, but she had a number and the author knew. But the thing about this, of course, because it says here, he who uh, has understanding, let him calculate the number of the beast. Uh, there have been those who have risen up who have thought that they've had understanding to come up with who this is. And so Everyone from the Pope to John Knox to Martin Luther to Napoleon to Hitler to Mussolini to Stalin 
have been pegged with this 666 number. And there's always a way to kind of get the job done. Uh, you know, Caesar Nero, you can say that his name had 666 attached to it. If you use, listen to this, the variant spelling of the Greek form of a Latin name transliterated into Hebrew characters. So it takes some doing, but you can almost fit anybody into this. That's why I basically say, well, I don't have wisdom to figure this one out. I just know that it's the number of man, 666. And it basically means there is no room for God with this leader. I think in many senses, the height of secular humanism, a world without God. So Revelation 13, the Antichrist and his prophet, may God keep us and preserve us in days of difficulty and trial and help us endure. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.